But let's get into our text this morning. Second Kings chapter 6, 1 through 7, it says, Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, it must be on Elisha kick too, um, See the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe had fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. So he reached out his head, his hand, and took it. My message this morning is a little unorthodox if you look at it without the context. But I promise you I'm going to get somewhere with it. My title this morning is Beheaded. Beheaded. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the presence that we felt in here this morning. We thank you for who you are. And that you are willing to come down to spend time with us, to bring us close to you. And pray that I would be able to give the word this morning that you've given it to me, that it would fall on ground, that it would take root into the lives of those who need it. And as we go forth and throughout the week, that people need, that they can reflect on what was said today. And God, that I'm not up here just for me, but I'm up here to represent you and to lead people into your presence and to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Beheaded. I was kicking around because I'm telling you, some of the hardest things to do is one, figure out how I'm going to start talking. Because I've got, I have great content. I'm like, how am I going to start out, start it off? And then two, trying to figure out a title, because you, you, know, you don't want to be like really weird with your title, which apparently I nailed it this morning. <laughs> but I begin to think about where I was wanting to go with it, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to go, with, I'm going to go with beheaded, because I think it's going to be some good context. And I want you guys to th think about a time when you were living back in your parents' house and you were maybe a kid and you had no bills, no responsibilities. You had nothing but run around in the yard, chasing the dog, throwing things at the cat, whatever you like to do as a kid. Um, and you just got to do whatever you just, you just, you just had when the summertime was on, you were just out there, just living your best life. And then think about the time when you grew up and you were like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to get out. Like I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get out on my own. I'm going to do it. And the reason that we wanted to is to get out on our own is we wanted that independence. We wanted to be a, a successful member of society. We wanted to grow up and take on the responsibilities and prove to everybody that we could do it, right? No. You're all lying in church today. We were tired of dealing with our parents. Come on now. Be real. We wanted to do our own thing. We wanted to come in at whatever hour of the night we wanted to come in. We wanted to eat whatever junk food we wanted to. We didn't, you know, potato chips, ramen noodles, ravioli. See what else did I, what I used to eat. Uh, cement Toast Crunch, Lucky Charms. 
Um, SpaghettiOs, come on. Uh, chauffeur's lasagna, throw it in there. Come on, you can make it. You can make it sound like look like you can cook. When you get the you know the frozen dinners, you look like. Come on, there's a story. Uh, I'm not going to tell who it is, but somebody that couldn't cook, and so they got a bunch of chili, and put it in the crock pot, and made it look like that they cooked it. But then the boxes were discovered in the trash. So, yeah, that didn't turn out too good. But, you know, we wanted to do our own thing. And, like, I look back, like, we were dumb. Like, why would I want to do that? Like, I look back, I had it easy. Mom made dinner for me. She always asked me what I wanted. You know, tacos, lo mein, stir fry, burritos, fried chicken, whatever. Come on. We always talk about food at this church. Why do we do that? Like we, it's like not even I'm not even four minutes into my message yet. But it's like, why would we want to do that? Why would we want to? Because there's something on the inside of everybody that says, "I want to do my own thing. I want to go out and do what I want to do." It's that flesh. It's that it's that nature that from the fall that we were that we entered into. And I, when as I was first reading this text, I thought when the I was reading that the sons of the prophets came to Elisha and they're like, we, we need to like where we're at under your charge here. It's, it's too small for us. We need to, we need to go out. We need to, we need to uh, get our own area and dwell there. And I was like, Oh wow. They're expanding. They're growing. Praise God. They need, they need a bigger area like we do at this church. Come on. Like we, <laughs> every ounce of storage that we can fit stuff in, we fit it in there. Like we are the Kings and Queens of, just shoving everything we can into like any closet that we can find. Um, so we like, we, we've nailed it here, but we need, come on church. We need our own building. Amen. Come on. That way we can have classes throughout the week. We can bring people in for trainings on the soundboard. Cause y'all, I need help. Um, Cause it's just me sometimes. I think Garrett's back there filling it. Yeah, there he is. But I was like, praise God. Like they're growing. And then I begin to look at, the text and dilate it. I don't care, Siri. Uh, it's showing me locations for growing. Um, but I was looking at the text and I came to the word, the area where it talks about like the, them being too small. And I was looking at that and I was like, okay. And when it says the place where we dwell under your charge is too small. And I thought that's weird. So I looked at the word small. And the Greek word used here is sar, S-A-R. And what it means is too narrow or straight, being or feeling too oppressed and too much trouble. It's like, ooh, that kind of changes changes things a little bit. Changes things. Because now it makes sense how they said it. The place that we dwell under your charge is too narrow. It's too straight. It's too much trouble. We feel oppressed under your charge here. We want to go out and do our own thing. And I begin to really think about things in America today. I begin to think about people who, and I'm not trying to get on any tangent or try to get on anything specific this morning, but I'm just going with what was given to me. We've got churches. We've got people proclaiming to be Christian artists that are not living and not proclaiming a life that is lined up with the Bible. 
They've stepped outside and said, we're going to do our own thing. We're going we're to take charge of our life and not give charge to God. We've got performance-based churches that they're seeker-friendly, that is just, hey, like, we'll, like, we, we're not going to talk about anything that's going to make people upset. But Jesus actually said, I've, I've come to put brother against brother. I've come to stir things up. And when you look at when he was coming into, when he was going into towns, he was loving the sinners and he was pointing fingers at the religious, religious elite. And so I began to, to take, I began to like look. And so I started just kind of looking some things up and I wanted to look at some certain statistics. And again, I'm not trying to get on a tangent this morning or I'm not trying to disprove anybody's doctrine at any church or anything. But I'm just reading out statistics that I read about Christian believers, people who proclaim to be a follower of Christ. It says 69% do not believe small sins are a reason for eternal damnation. 58% believe that worshiping alone or with family is a perfectly good replacement for attending church. 59% agree, agree that the Holy Spirit is a force not a being. 44% believe the Bible's, the Bible's stance on homosexuality is no longer relevant. 57% say having an abortion outside of a medical emergency situation is not counted as a sin. 54% say nothing wrong with sex outside of marriage. 46% say gender identity is a choice. 30% of those who stand behind a pulpit and proclaim the gospel believe that Jesus is not God the Son but was simply a great teacher. And those statistics scared me. To think that somebody could get up behind a pulpit and not proclaim that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but that he was just a great teacher. Because that, that, that means when he died, he stayed dead. Because great teachers don't resurrect. And when you look at, the, when you look at how, because if you say that this is no longer relevant, then you're saying the Bible is no longer relevant. And these are people that proclaim to be Christians. I say, I am a follower of Christ. And I was like, God, how can this be? This is absolutely absurd. These statistics have to be off. And then the Holy Spirit checked me and said, but does it really not make sense? Because in Matthew 7, 14, it says, for the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Few. I was like, okay. Ouch. Ouch. And then I read in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You can't tell me that my Bible is not accurate when I'm watching prophecy and things that were written down be fulfilled in today's society. And I was, and I was just, I was just like, this is just like, I was just, sitting there and I was like, this can't be. Because I heard about how, you know, you hear about how America was founded. One nation, under God, indivisible. That 
and God we trust was plastered everywhere. And I think about that, you know, the founding fathers, they, they messed up a lot. They got a lot of things wrong, but the one thing they got right is this nation was founded under God. And then I look at how today is, and it breaks my heart because I have never seen truth be attacked so much. And the fact that when people hear it, it brings a rage out of them. I was watching a video where a, a guy was, I don't know where this was taking place, but he was just simply holding up a sign that said, Jesus loves you. And this lady was screaming at him. Screaming at him. And I was like, this, this is, and, and I'm just kind of looking, I was like, if, if, if they're willing to almost get so upset that they're willing to almost cause bodily harm to you, I was thinking that, of course, and this is just lining up for, for the end of days. And I'm not trying to get on a rapture or a revelation kick, but there's, because I have some, some ideas and things that I kind of look at and some, it's not really popular. But I'm like, you know what? It kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense now. That narrow is the way and few that find it. And so going back to our text, and they've come to Elisha, and they're like, yo, hey, we're going to go down to the Jordan. We're going to make our own dwelling. And Elisha doesn't try to stop them. He doesn't try to, you know, like, no, 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 you need to stay here. You need to stay here. You need to stay here. Uh, he just says, go. And I thought about this. I was like, is this like, you know, when husbands, we ask our wives, hey, the boys are going out to go do something can we go? And, you know, she's like, yeah, you can go if you want. Because there's a difference. There's a difference. Come on. There is a difference, ladies, on how, and, and we've picked up on it, okay? Permission to go is, oh, yeah, if you want to go, go. Have fun. Okay? I don't want you to go. I want you to stay here and spend time with me is, yeah, you can go if you want, which is saying you better pick your priorities right now. Yeah. I learned that real quick. Um, like first month of my marriage, I was like, I need to listen to how she words things. Uh, because sometimes when she says I can, no, that's fine. really doesn't mean that's fine. And when she says she's fine, I need to go to my prayer closet and meet God revealed to me <laughs> what is going on. What did I do, Jesus? Or what did I did not do? Is the dishwasher unloaded? Did I, what did I throw? Oh, yeah, I probably shrunk one of her shirts again. Uh, yeah, because I do that a lot. Uh, I'm the master at shrinking things. Um, so if you want something shrunk, just bring it to me. I can, I can, I'll shrink it real quick for you. Uh, we went to Old Navy because I was wanting to find a shirt. And uh, she was like, well, I'm going to go in and try to find this shirt that you shrunk. I was like, mm. Yeah, really can't argue there, so have fun. But he says, go to them. I'm like, yeah, go ahead and go. You can go. And one of them, as he, he tells them that they can go, one of them comes to him. And says, hey, will you, will you go with us? Will you go with us? And he says, yeah, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with you. 
And I begin to look at this more as well. And I look at because it was kind of like if you look at what is taking place here, that Elisha is like the, 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 the master prophet to say. And the sons of the prophet are kind of like a, a, the, the doers, the ones that are in each city. And they're kind of, they're like an organization. And, but Elisha's the head. And like a lot of things that they do, they, he has to like put his stamp of approval on. They kind of like, hey, we're doing this. You good? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. So I'm like, okay, maybe they're wanting, you know, if he comes with us, it's like he's got, we got the stamp of approval on him. Like we're good to go. Um, but then when they're like, hey, but then they want him to come with them. I was like, well, why do they want him to come with them? They're just going out and cutting trees. And I looked at how, just the different mindsets. And I looked at how they asked Elisha, hey, will you come with us? But nobody was like, hey, if you don't go, I'm not going to go. Because when you look at Elisha, when you look at the sons of the prophet, Elisha, will you follow us? But then you look at Elisha to Elijah. Elijah. You know, make sure I'm not talking about the same person. Elisha and Elijah's relationship was different. Because as it was coming towards the end, when Elijah was going to be uh, taken up, he tells Elisha, uh, you need to stay here. Whatever city that they were in, he's like, you need to stay here. The Lord's called me on. And it's interesting what Elisha says to him. He says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. I will not leave you. And when we look at the Bible, there's there's multiple scriptures of that same type of scenario. Because Elisha was wanting a double portion of what Elijah had. I want what you have. I want what is resting on you. I want that. I want that type of relationship. I need it. I, I, I want it. So I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth. And we see that throughout the scripture because there's two people called Ruth and Naomi. And... Naomi, her husband, and her sons die. And so she looks at her daughters-in-law and is like, her daughter-in-laws, and like, hey, go back to your hometown. Like, gigs up. Like, they all dead. I'm going to do my thing. You guys go do your thing. And then, but Ruth, she looks back, and Ruth is just like bebopping behind her, like just coming with her. And Naomi's like, yo, hey, 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 like, go. Go away. I have... I have nothing to offer you. Like, I, I can't have, I'm at an old age, I'm not going to be able to give you, produce any more kids. And even if I did produce any more kids, are you going to wait till he's, he's grown up and then marry him? But Ruth looks at her and says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything, put death parts me from you. Ruth was telling Naomi, I'm not leaving. Your people are my people. I don't want anything from you. Just I, I want to just be a part of your God. I want to be part of your people. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to be a part of his presence. But then you see like the sons of the prophet are like, hey, Elisha, 
come follow us. And it's like, okay, so they're going to have to do their own thing, but they want the prophet to come with them, not because, hey, we want to be with you, but maybe it's because we want what you can do. Just in case something happens, come with us. And I begin to think, is it like, do we have people in today that are like, God, I want to follow after you. I want to stay in your presence. Where you lead me, I will follow. I will go where you go. Where we got people saying, hey, presence of God, can you follow me? Because I might need you here today. I, I, might need, you know, I might need a little bit of encouragement today. So could you come with me? I might need a prayer answered. Could you follow me? Uh, it's okay. I don't. I don't want to walk the way that you need me to walk. I want to walk how I want to walk, but can you still just come back around here just in case? Yeah. And that's a dangerous ground to be on. Yeah. That's a dangerous ground to be on. But I looked and they're like, yeah, come with Elisha, come on, come on, come on down. Because it's even like if, because I, I used to hear that, you know, when we would feel God's presence, that it was like his stamp of approval on our lives. And I quickly found out that wasn't the case. Because I can be in a service and feel his presence and not be living right. Because conviction is his presence, is the Holy Spirit convicting your heart. You're feeling his presence. But if you don't repent and turn away, when that conviction hits you, it's... It's complete opposite. There's a reason that the conviction has fallen upon you. Is you've stepped out of alignment. And you look at Jesus when he walks down to the river or the ocean and he sees two brothers in the boat mending their nets with their father. What does he tell them? Follow me. And what does the Bible say they do? They immediately left their nets and left their father to follow after him. And at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, that's what Jesus is wanting from us. He just wants us to follow after him. Follow after him because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. There's, there's shelter underneath his wing. There's prosperity in his wing. Everything that we need is in him. So if we follow after him, we'll have everything that we'll ever need. Follow after my spirit. Walk in my presence. That's all he's asking from you. That's all he ever wants. That's the whole purpose of the cross. That's the whole purpose of salvation, to bring back where we lost it. Yeah. To, to, to wedge that gap, that barrier that used to be there. Because in the Old Testament, the spirit can only rest on. But when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was rent from top to bottom, and now his spirit can rest in. Yeah. Praise God. And when we find ourselves walking in his presence and find ourselves walking in him and his fullness of life, we find ourselves in our lives that come into our desires and everything begin to change. We become, we become more looking like him and we come into an alignment and what used to be chaos in our life becomes order. You want an example? Come on, there's somebody. All right, let's look at the Tower of Babel. I believe that's Genesis 11, something like that. Yes, thank you. Um, we look at the Tower of Babel and what is Jesus originally designed was that man was to populate the earth, that they were to spread out, that they were to subdue it, meaning go, you're like spread out, need some room, 
You know, like get out there. But what do they do? But what do they do here? They say, "Let's build a mighty city. Let's build a huge tower, so we can stay conf- with each other, lest we be scattered." And God's like, "That ain't it. That's not what I wanted you all to do. You're doing the exact opposite." And he's looking, and he says that the Bible says he's coming down. He's like walking around. He's like, "Whoa, these people are, these people are getting it. Like they are one mind. They're going after it, and they're building this tower that is reaching the heavens." And God's like, this, this cannot continue. They completely just stepped out of my will. So what does he do? Comes down and creates chaos by dividing their tongues. And now they all have to scatter according to who they can communicate with, who can they talk to. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2. It says the Holy Spirit comes. And what does it say? When the Holy Spirit comes down, that there is cloven tongues as a fire rests on each one of them. And what happens? They hear the word proclaimed in their own tongue. Their own tongue. And for the first time since the Tower of Babel, there's people now all together that used to be divided by their language used to be divided by their tongue and now all of a sudden they are in one mind and one accord hearing the gospel proclaimed and that chaos that was established due to people wanting to do their own things when the disciples went back to the upper room and they were all there in obedience with God and the doing thing that God had instructed them to do God said okay now I can bring order back together with my spirits what was now chaos I can now bring back into order through the cross And when we step and we find ourselves in alignment and in obedience with God, that's when that order can step back into our lives. So if your life is chaotic, if your life is messed up all the time, if you don't know what's going on, if you're like, I can barely make it through the day, this is a week over, maybe you need to step back and go, okay, God, what do I need to do to step back into alignment with you and to bring order back into my life? It's not a you. It's not your coworker. It's not the person in front of you driving. It's not the person tailgating you behind you. Sometimes it's you. As pastor says, it's you, boo-boo. It's you. God, what do I need to do to step back into alignment? And like it just shows like the sons of the prophet here, they're just, they're not getting it. They're not getting it. They're wanting to do their own thing. They want Elisha to follow after them. And they, they see, they, they know who, they see the double portion that's on his life. They know that he is, that he's the top dog. They, they saw it. But when he comes back in, they're like, okay, the spirit of Elijah is resting on him. Like he's, he's, he's succeeded because that was the thing. Like they needed to succeed their, um, the master or really the apprentice. One of the things was like the spirit was fall on the apprentice. And that was acknowledged that, you know, God was putting his approval on them to be the, the head. But what do they say when Elijah comes walking in? They acknowledge that he's, that the spirit of Elijah is resting on him. And they're like, Master, let us go out. And we have 50 strong men here. Let us go out and find Elijah's body. And Elijah's like, no. Like, he's, he's been taken up. They're like, yeah, but what if God took him up? But they cast him down on a mountain somewhere. They obviously didn't have the relationship with God to think that God would bring someone up to cast them down. 
And so Elisha, so they, they keep pushing Elisha. And so finally they guilt him. And he's like, okay, go. So the 50 strong men, they go out and they, they scour the, the valleys and the mountains and everything. And they're looking. They're trying to find Elijah, but he's not there. And I believe this is the first time that we look and it shows what was said in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I believe that it would have been said here. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? You cannot, are you so distant from him that you cannot comprehend what God has done? That you cannot recognize what he has done? That you cannot recognize a miracle that he's done in someone's life? That you, are you so far gone? Are you so distant from him that you cannot recognize the spirit when it moved? That you need to go out and do something that you want to do again. And I was like, man, like they're, they're just not there. They're just not there. Why? Why? They sat under, they, they know Elijah. They've seen Elisha. They've sat under it. But why? And just, and I, I'm thinking like, what is going on in Elisha's mind? What's going on in his mind? Because, you know, Elisha, when he got the double, the double portion, he got it. Like, there's a story, and I, I read it. I had to read it again. I was like, there's no way this is Bible. Like, I, and like, I had to look at different translations, like, because my Bible's off. Um, so there's, uh, when Elisha receives his double portion, it says he's walking back into the city, and there's these group of small kids, these boys, and they're harassing him, and they're calling him uh, bald head. They're making fun because he's apparently bald. And he's just, you know, looking like Scott over here and Jared. Um, and those are the ones I'm going to pick on because those are the ones I'm close to. So, uh, but he's getting picked on and these boys are following him and harassing him. <laughs> the Bible says that he turns around and he curses them. And this is the part I was like, there's no way this is the Bible. This cannot be. And after they are cursed, two bears come full force out of the woods and go to whooping up on these small boys, like ripping them apart. I'm like, this is a prophet of God that just cursed small boys, and this bear, these bears that come out and are like going to town. There's no way this is Bible. There's no way. Yeah, it's Bible. I'm really glad that we don't have people that you know answer God, you know, curses, because like I get no traffic. Be like, hmm, okay, you want to ride my butt? God, right now, and then I curse that vehicle behind me. Bow! Like, that's right. I want to get to work on time. Like, this person is taking forever at the checkout. Like, it, the barcode's on the other side. I'm about to come up. Just, it just, nope, turn it. Yep, yep, right. Quit. Doing this isn't doing anything. I need you to get down there and scan it slowly. Doing, scan. Like, that drives me nuts. Like, God, in the name of Jesus, I curse that food. Let it turn to ash in their mouth when they get home. Let them forget it. Let that milk spoil right now in the name of Jesus. There's a reason, like, I don't have that because I would abuse it. I'm, just, I'm not going to lie. I would abuse it so bad. And God's like, yeah, I know you would. That's why you don't have that, you know. God's like, there's a limit on our, our relationship. Um, but, like, you know, like what, what's going on in, like, Elisha's head as he's walking down to the river with them? And they get down to the river. And they're cutting down the trees. 
And the Bible says that one of the men, he's going to town. And his axe head was flying in the Jordan. Obviously, it's iron. So it sinks immediately. And he goes over to Elijah. He's like, um, Mr. Prophet guy, my axe head just threw, fell in the river and it was borrowed. It wasn't mine. Uh, could you take care of that for me? You know, because you know, nothing is worse than borrowing something and it breaking. Like, that's like the worst, worst feeling. And something like, and I'm conniving in a way. And like, I will give somebody something that's broken and just like glue it. So when they like get it and they go to use it, like it breaks automatically. I'm like, you broke it? Oh my gosh, that was my favorite chainsaw. Like, oh my gosh, I have to get in there. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm just kidding. I was broken to begin with. Um, but he's like, alas, it was, it, master, it was borrowed. It wasn't mine to begin with. And I kind of look at this and I'm like, man, what a sad, like sad situation this, this is in. But we've got people, I believe, that are just like this man. Because this man didn't have an, an axe of his own. He had to go borrow for someone. And he was relying on what somebody else had to equip him to do what he was going to go do. And when we get to the point that we are relying on other people, I have to I have to come in every Sunday to rely on what Pastor Andrew is going to tell me. I have to go to that near group so I can rely on everybody else and what they're going to speak into my life so I can get through. I got to I gotta text this person. I gotta text that person so I can get something from them to get me through because I'm struggling. When in sense, it's not about relying on what everybody else is doing and the words that you're getting out of the pulpit, but it comes down to relying on a relationship with you and God that says, I need something and I'm not going to anybody because people will let me down, but I'm going to the presence of God. Because when you rely on what other people have, you become subject to the condition in which it's given to you. If it's broken when you get it, you'll use it broken. If it's not biblical when you receive it, then you're stepping out of the truth biblically. And this man, when he's given this axe, I believe that it wasn't in mint condition. It may have been sitting in a shed somewhere, a year, and never been touched, and never been used. And then this guy, and then someone hands it to him and says, here you go, have fun. It wasn't maintained. And you can't rely on people maintaining what they have to give to you. And that's something like I had a conversation with my dad a couple of nights ago and that we were, we were just talking, and our talks can go to midnight. Um... Amanda, like, I'll be out in the parking lot, like, walking around because I have this thing where I have to walk around when I'm on the phone, like, you know, because I can't sit still. And so I'll be out in the parking lot somewhere walking up and down the sidewalk, and Amanda will text me, are you still out there? Are you okay? What are you doing? I'm talking to my dad. Oh, okay. But we were talking about it um, and just realizing this, 
that there's so much inaccuracy in what uh, comes from behind the pulpit sometimes and what people are saying to one-on-one that in order to maintain what you have, don't rely on what I maintain. Everything I say behind the pulpit, fact check me. Fact check me. Don't just take what is said for granted just as, as truth. Okay, especially because, you know, you men, and I'm going to kind of get, I'm going to kind of stay here for a little bit. Men, we are called to be the priest and the head of our households. And if something is spoken into our family's lives that is not biblical and not truth and is not lined up with the word of God and we allow it to continue, we will be held accountable in front of God one day. So when it comes to something that is said, if it doesn't sit right in my spirit, I start to pray on it. I start to look into the Bible. And if it does not line up, I go, hey, babe, we need to have a conversation about something that was said to us. We need to talk about it because I need to set things straight. And I'm not going to be found guilty of not being a good steward of what God, of what God gave me. I, I, I'm not going to, I can't allow, when I, when we have kids, I can't allow things to be said to my kids' life that does not line up with the word of God. And we know that society is attacking our kids left and right. They are trying to confuse them. They are trying to give them their own, their own way to go. And that it is up to me and it is up to you as mothers and fathers that when our kids come home from school, they said, Hey, what did, what was talked about? What was said? Oh, that doesn't line up with the word of God here. Come here. Let's see what the Bible has to say about that. It's because when I grew up, there were things that was like hush, hush secret that like things that like, I should have been talked. I should have been told about that at 10, 11, 12, instead of letting some teacher or some kid in, in the class next to me that his parents, you know, don't know God. And he's lived this, this worldly lifestyle teach and try to tell me about but have godly instruction and godly people in my life that should have raised me up and said, this is the way it is. This is, this is why you don't do that. Not because it's just a sin or it's going to throw you to hell, but there's protection in this. Yeah. And we need to be held accountable, but like to maintain, don't rely on what somebody else has. Rely on what God has and what he's given you. And the best way... To maintain an axe. So I'm going to talk about the axe for a little bit. It's not necessarily the axe head you have to maintain, but it's the handle itself. And the best way to handle or to maintain that handle is with this oil. It's called linseed oil. And you oil the handle. And the purpose in doing that is it keeps the axe tight, strong, flexible, and protects it from the elements. And I don't know about you. You may just be killing it in your life. But with me, I need the oil applied to my life each and every day. Every day, I need the oil applied to my life. In Ecclesiastes 9 and 8, it says, Let your garments be always white, and let not oil be lacking on your head. When you look at the when you look at oil in the biblical text, it's all I mean it's all throughout the Bible, oil. But it's a symbol of God's empowering and God's anointing. When you look at it, uh, David's was anointed with oil. Um, it says, you know, God's God anointed my head with oil. That oil is a thing in the oil. That when you look at it and when you begin to really understand what oil is to your life, that the empowering and the anointing of God 
you begin to see that. So when the when Jesus tells the disciples, "Hey, you need to go to um, Jerusalem and tarry to be you be endured with power," that word "power" is that Greek word. Give it to me again. Dynamis, right? Dynamis, dynamis. Yeah, I always pronounce it dynamics or something like that. It's weird because I'm from Grant County, um, but dynamis. And when you look at that word and you break it down, what it really means. It means power, strength. It's also meaning inherent power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. By virtue of its nature. And when God anoints your head with oil and you apply the oil of God to your life, and since God's like, I'm empowering you with my spirit, but that's the thing is like my spirit becomes your spirit because Jesus says abide in me and I abide in you. And when we take his oil and apply it to our lives, it's what's on the inside starts to come out of us and we become one. And that power that's on him becomes my power and it becomes that power of my virtue in myself, if that makes sense. It's what's already in there. And when we apply it, the oil to our life, the Holy Spirit says I can bring it out of you now. Because we are one. It brings us back to the original design with Adam, what God wanted with Adam. It brings us back. And I look that when I take that oil and I'm just constantly applying it to my life and I'm taking the God and that empowering that he's given me, it means that I'm able to be, I'm able to be strong. I'm able to withstand any form of temptation that would come in my life or hardship, I'm able to bend. That flexibility gets in me, and I'm able to, to bend to pressures, but I will never break because I'm solid in my faith, and I'm solid in who he is. That there's things that will come against me, and I'm going, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm able to push back because of that strongholds. I'm able to tear them down because I am stronger, because greater is he that's in me than he that's within the world. And then that those elements that try to come against me, that try to beat against me, that try, that try to rust on me, that try to pick at me, God says, uh-uh, just come underneath the shadow of my wing because you've got the oil that's applied to your life and I'm able to hide myself in his shadow. And the elements that come to the beat end up beating against God and they come off of him because the oil is applied to my life. I have the oil applied to my life. It's maintained. It's rooted. It's there. When I'm constantly applying, I stay in alignment. I stay in alignment. And I don't have to worry about myself stepping out of alignment with the Godhead. I don't ever have to worry about me being in the body of Christ. And looking around and realizing the body of Christ has left the head. I don't have to get wrapped up in talks and conversations that aren't spirit-led. I don't have to find myself going, where am I? Like when God was walking through the garden, he said, Adam, where are you? Because you're not in alignment. And I feel that today that the body of Christ, looking around it, the majority have found themselves out of alignment. And they've been beheaded. They no longer have the Godhead resting on them. They no longer are resting in his word. 
They're no longer seeking after him, but they're seeking out what fuels themselves. What makes me feel better? What do I want to do? And they're going down a path, and God's like, I'm over here. I don't know where you all are going, but I'm over here. And the thing about when a body is disconnected from the brain that's sending all the signals, it dies. And death has creeped into the churches. And I'm not, I'm not talking about physical, the churches, but I'm talking about the people that proclaim to be his children. And a lot of things that are said and done, it's not it. It's not it. And the fruit of the Spirit is long gone within his people. Long gone. There's no love. There's no compassion. There's no patience. There's no gentleness. It's gone. When you look at people, they'll flip on a switch. Because when you really look at it, what's going on in the world, it's not a Second Amendment issue. It's not a gun issue. It's not a mental illness issue. It's a godless society issue. Those are symptoms of a godless nation. To think what it takes to walk into a school (laughs) and destroy lives. It's godless. It's godless. And everybody wants to stand around and blame each other, blame the left, blame the right. It's your fault. No, 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 no. It's our fault. Because we've allowed things to come into our nation that that does not line up against the Bible. That does not line up with what he says. That does not line up with who he is. We've not been standing at the threshold saying, you're not going to come into my family. You're not going to come into my community. And I thank God that we have a church that is presence driven. That does it that we I mean we love the we love the, the screens and the graphics. We love all of that. And that catches people's eyes. But what really catches people's attention, what really catches them, is when they walk in the doors and go, This feels different. This isn't anything like I've I've ever experienced. There, there's love here. They didn't ask me about my lifestyle. They didn't ask me if the person sitting next to me, if I'm married to or, or who that is. But they just wanted to come and love on me. They just wanted to say, hey, how did you find out about us? Where, where do you work? What do you do? We're so glad that you're here. And we've had people come here that's, that have stayed because of what is happening here with his presence and what is happening with the river that's flowing out. Because you can tell a church that, that has his presence you can tell a church because it's people-based. They love people. They love being in the community. They love it. But we've gotten into a place where we no longer have the Godhead in charge of his people. And the thing that I love what Elisha says to this young man is when he comes, he's like, hey, my axe has fallen in the river. He did not say, where were you when it fell? 
Because sometimes where we are to God is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Because there's nowhere that we can go that he can't reach us. There's nothing that I can do that he can't pull me back from. There's nothing. God goes, I don't care where you are or where you've been. I got a place I'm going to bring you. But Elisha said, where did it fall? Where did it fall? Let's go to where it's laying. Because the only way to restore what you're missing is to go where it's at. That's the only way to, that's the only way to restore. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you've lost something and you don't know where it's at, you'll find it at the feet of Jesus. You'll find it at his feet. Where did it fall? All things fall at the feet of Jesus. Everything, that's where it's at. And I want to kind of encourage you this, this morning that you can think, how, well, how do I know if I've lost something? How do I know? Let's look at it. If you've lost your passion. When things that you used to be passionate about, you're not passionate about anymore. You dread. You don't want to do. You've lost your joy when you need things or people or circumstances to make you happy. When you're silent, when you used to jump, you used to get into worship, you used to lift your hands, and now you just sit there waiting for service to be over with. Love has been replaced with judgment. Kindness replaced with harshness. Peace has been replaced with anxiety. And I'm not saying that if you've lost a part of you, a part of something, that you're lost. That's not what I'm saying this morning. Because we all allow things to come into our lives and we all and that, that just they just happened. We're humans. We get caught up in the work, we get caught up in the doing, we get caught up in everything that's going on around us that we look like, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this. Have you lost it? Are there things in your life you're not in alignment with? Maybe you stepped outside that you thought was something that was the will of God, but it comes to find out it really wasn't. And doesn't make you a bad person, doesn't make you horrible. I've done it a lot. But I come back to his feet where I lost it. And I love what is said in Joel 2.25, where God says, I will restore to you the years the swarming locust has eaten. There's restoration. I will restore your joy, your passion, your love. I will restore what was lost, and you'll find it in my presence. And this morning, I want to ask you, is there something in your life that you know, I used to, I used to want to volunteer, now I don't. I used to want to get caught up in worship, and now I really don't. I used to love to do woodwork. Now I don't. I used to be really good at it. And you think, well, how is that spiritual? It's because when God is in your life and God is, and you're finding yourself in alignment and you're moving in his spirit, 
the things that you love to do, God, twist it to where you find yourself doing it for him. You find yourself doing it for him. I'm not trying to get emotional this morning, but I want to tell you that there is some special people in this congregation today. I can't go too much into it. But I love walking into work every day and, and being around my kids, not because I get paid, not because I just basically get to play with kids all day, but because I get to give those kids Jesus. I don't know what their home life is, but if I can just have a moment while they're praying that I can just put my hand on their head and say, God, bring them to you. God, protect them. And you'll find yourself in things that you love to do, whether it's your job or not, that you'll have a passion for because you get to do it for Christ. It may, you, may, you may be using a food truck, but you're feeding God's people and everybody that gets to walk up to that door, you get to say, God, touch them. God, they may be eating at my truck, but, they're eat, but what they're coming to is a kingdom-fed truck. You may be working in a hospital or a nursing home, but you're there under the pretense of the Holy Spirit, Scott. You may be driving a truck, but you're doing it in the Holy Spirit. And everybody you get to go into in your, on your route, you get to affect for the kingdom. You may be working in a daycare, a school, but you are on the front lines of the battlefield for God. And I just want to encourage you to the, as we have an altar call to say, God, restore me anything that's lost. I may not even know that it's lost.